All right, well, hey, welcome to Hope City Church. Uh, my name is Jason. I'm the pastor here at the church. Excited we get to be together today. And uh, we are in the last week of a, of a series. We've been taking three weeks to talk about marriage and, and romantic relationships. And we are in the last week of that, the series that we're calling Roommates or Soulmates or Roommate or Soulmate. And so we're gonna get into that in just a moment. I'm excited about that. That's gonna be a little different tonight or today, and I'll tell you that. Uh, but before I do, I wanna make sure you know uh, about next week, we are starting uh, a new series uh, about money, which I'm really excited about. Uh, it, over the years, pastoring now for 15 years or so, 14 years or so uh, in pastoral work, I used to kind of dread talking about money because I thought everybody's gonna get mad at me and like throw stuff at the stage. Here's what I've learned in the last 14 years is that no topic, uh, there's no other topic that applies to the pressure of our life more than the topic of money. So now when we get a chance to talk about it, I, I get really excited because I know I'm talking about something that applies to everyone in the room. And so we're starting that next week and it's gonna be a good time. And, and it accidentally kind of worked out this way, but I, I love the way God kind of accidentally on purpose does stuff, that this fall we have talked about our work, where we work, we have talked about our relationships, and we're going to talk about money. I can't think of anything else in our life that affects who we are and how we feel more than where we work, who we spend our time with, and how we spend our money. And so I love that that is how we have spent the fall together. And so it's going to be good. I want to encourage you to be here uh, it's going to be a really good time, okay? So we are in, in this last week of this series, Roommate or Soulmate. We've been talking about how to find or keep the spark. We, we want you to have the spark, how to give uh, our best to our spouse, how to close the gap when we feel like that, that distance is, is kind of coming into the relationship, like it does in all relationships. Inevitably, it, it comes in seasons. So we've talked a little bit about how to do that and... Uh, and we're taking this time to talk about marriage and relationships because we don't want marriage to be miserable. We don't want marriage to be miserable. It's not the old ball and chain. It's not, man, I should have just not, never got married or just buy my house before it's cheaper, whatever all the jokes and stupid stuff is. That's not uh, what marriage is. Marriage is a gift from God. It's a gift from God, and we want to enjoy that gift and to and to. Uh, experience the fullness of that gift. And so we've been talking about marriage because we want to experience the best, the gift of marriage that God gave us. And so for this last week, we are going to do two things, okay? We're gonna do two things. First, we're gonna talk about this idea or the topic of love and respect. Everybody say love and respect. We're gonna talk about love and respect because one of the things that I've noticed over the years is is that in those marriages where soulmates become roommates, I've noticed that, that there is a lack of effort and there is a lack of respect. These are two common characteristics of relationships that I notice when you go soulmate to roommate, that, that there's a lack of effort and there's a lack of respect. And so we're gonna talk about that for a few minutes, but not the whole time together because the second thing we're going to do today is, uh, is, is Andrea is gonna join me. My wife, Andrea, is gonna join me up on the stage. And we're gonna answer the questions that have come in throughout this series. So we're gonna do a little Q&A uh, and some really good questions have come in. And so we're gonna do that uh, also um, at, at the end of the, of the sermon. So this should, be, this should be fun, okay? Now, I have noticed something with couples who come to me 
for counseling or just couples in general who have kind of made that slide into the roommate mode. And whether they're talking to me or, or maybe they're, they're in, in separate conversations, maybe they're together, maybe they're not together, the problem always comes down to two things. You, you can always sum it up or boil it down to two things, love and respect. Love and respect. And it's not always in these stereotypical roles that I'm about to say, but the majority of time it is. It's a stereotype for a reason, okay? That when, when soulmates become roommates, when couples, quote, fall out of love, typically she struggles to respect him and he struggles to show love towards her. I'm just telling you, uh, over all the experiences, conversations, uh, struggles that I, I have worked through uh, th- this with, it, it, it is usually that summation uh, of, of where the relationship got to. That for the wife, there is a lack of respect towards the husband, and a lot of times for really great reasons. He's, you know, kind of a bum, right? And so he's stopped trying and As he has stopped trying, she has stopped respecting him. And then he struggles to give or show or make an effort to be loving towards her. This is the the common denominators that, that I see over and over and over and over and over again. And um, when I bring this up, that, that she needs to respect him more, And when I say to him, hey, you need to show more love to her, inevitably, they say this back to me, okay? So I'm just kind of letting you in the room here for a a marriage counseling session. Inevitably, this is what they say. The wife says something like, well, I would treat him better if he'd do better. Something along those lines. If he wants me to treat him better, he needs to do better. And, And the husband says something like, well, I would do better if she would treat me better. So, so I'm, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but it's the, this is the summary. She says, if he would do better, I'd treat him better. And he says, I would do better if she would treat me better. It's this cycle. We've talked about this a little bit through, through the series. It's this cycle that if, if, if they'll change, I'll change. If you'll change, I'll change. But don't for a second think that I'm gonna put myself out there running the risk that you will not, you know, come my way at all. I've tried that before. I've been burned. I'm not trying that again. I'm not gonna do that. You're gonna have to go first. You're gonna have to show me some goodwill. You're gonna have to do something. But hey, if you'll do something, I'll do something. But I'm not going first. So I want us to talk about this idea of love and respect for a few minutes together And we're gonna read a few Bible verses out of the New Testament book of Ephesians. There's a Bible either in your seat or underneath the seat in front of you. And uh, hopefully you got a sermon guide. Uh, When you came in, you can grab that. There's some page numbers on there uh, for you. But we're gonna be in in the book of Ephesians. And this is part of the Bible that is specifically talking about marriage. So my weekly plug for the Bible, it's time for it right here. If anybody tells you that the Bible doesn't apply to your life, they're not reading the Bible. 
Because this is a whole section where the Apostle Paul is like, attention, all the married couples in the room. He's gonna talk to us, all the married couples in the room. And so the Bible specifically is gonna talk about it. And there are a lot of verses actually in the section, but we don't have time to, to read all of them. So we're just gonna read the end of the section. There's a whole section on marriage. We're just gonna read the end of it. And, and the end of it is gonna kind of give us a summary of these verses about marriage. So it's Ephesians chapter five, verses 31, 32, and 33. And this is what it says. It says, as the scriptures say, and we know that the scriptures do say, we talked about this last week, that what we're about to read, God said in Genesis, Jesus said in the Gospels, now the Apostle Paul is saying it in the New Testament letters, as the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united to one. We said this last week, that that this is God's definition of marriage. He gets to define it because he created it. He gets to tell us the intention of it because he is the designer of it. And this is the way God described it, Jesus described it, and the Apostle Paul, a man, not a boy, leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, not a girl, and the two are united into one. Keep going. This is a great mystery. (laughs) It's kind of echoing what the disciples said. Like, how does that happen? Yeah, exactly. It's a great mystery. But, Paul says, it is an illustration of the way that Christ and the church are one. Last verse. So again, I say, Paul says, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Everybody say love. And respect. Say respect. That's what the Apostle Paul is talking about. Love and respect. Love and respect. So again, I say, each man, he's talking to all the married men or the men in the room who plan on getting married or the men in the room who are about to pop the question. He says, let me talk to all of the men. You gotta love your wife like you love yourself. Now here's where this is challenging is I don't really know many people. I know a couple, okay? But I don't know many Guys, we act tough, you know, but I don't know many guys who are like, I love myself. I, I love myself. I am really into me. We can be selfish, but we're incredibly insecure. And so it can be a little bit challenging when the standard that Paul gives us is that we're supposed to love our wife like we love ourselves. because here's the reality is that life has beat us up. Maybe we got daddy issues. Maybe we've been let down, hurt, abused, and we struggle to love ourselves. And then Paul says, I'm supposed to love my wife the way I love myself. Well, I, I don't necessarily love myself, okay? And so he, he says, love your wife as, as, as you love yourself. I'm gonna, we're gonna paraphrase this just a little bit because that's, Paul is not saying you look in the mirror with your shirt off and you're like, bro, you look good, okay? He's not saying love your wife like that, okay? So, so I'm gonna explain this to you a little bit, okay? What, what Paul is saying is, in essence, he's saying love your wife the way you love the things you do for yourself. Not necessarily the way you love yourself. He's saying love your wife the way you love the things you do for yourself. In essence, Paul would ask the question to all the guys in the room, how do you act about the things you do for you? 
Okay, Let, let's paraphrase it a little bit more and let's say it like this. Uh, Paul's words are like this. I'm talking to all the guys in the room, married, gonna get married. Paul says, love your wife the way you love, just fill it in, golf, fishing, Cheetos, I don't know. Love your wife the way you love. There's something in that line. There's something in that line. And there's something that you do for you that you love so much. Love the wife you, you, the way you love killing a deer. You know the way you feel when you do that? God, Paul says, yeah, yeah, that, that. Now you got that? Okay, that's how I want you to love your wife. When you hit that seven iron in the sweet spot, Paul says, you know how that feels? And I'm like, yeah, I know how that feels. That's how I want you to love her. When you get the car, you know, that you've been working on, when you get this 70-whatever Mustang, I don't know what good year is, but go with me. When you buff it and you wax it and you shine it and you sit it out in the driveway and you look at it because you have really spent time on it and you're proud of it, that feeling right there, Paul says, yeah, yeah, love her like that. Love her like that. Now, here's what we know, fellas. Listen, we don't need somebody to tell us. We know that when we decide we want to do something, come on, we do it all the way. We don't do it half-hearted. When we decide we want to take up a hobby or a habit or we want to go do something, I mean, we'll go camping one time and we'll go buy like the nicest tent in the store. You know what I mean? Never planning on going again, but just give me the nicest thing you got. We will, we will if we're going to do something for us, we do it all the way. And that is what Paul is trying to tap into when he says, hey, fellas in the room, love your wife the way you love yourself. Love the, your wife the way you love the things you do for yourself. That feeling that you feel. He's I'm not emotional. There, yeah, that's in there. Because you feel it with those things that you do for yourself. Paul says, do it that way. Love her that way. That's what I want you to do. But he doesn't just talk to the guys. He says to the wives, he keeps it really short and sweet. Wives, respect your husband. Respect. I'm gonna talk to the guys, Paul's saying, about I know that they're really into whatever. But here's what I'm saying to you ladies, Paul says, respect them. Respect your husband. Now, I love this definition of respect because respect is such a common word. We all kind of see it a different way. Like, what, you know, does that mean I... Let me read this definition of respect. Respect is defined as a feeling of deep admiration for someone or something elicited by their abilities, qualities, or achievements. So in essence, there is something about what they do or how they do it or who they are that causes you, elicits in you a deep admiration. And I, I know what you're thinking right now. You're thinking, I know that's the problem. I don't respect him because I don't see any qualities, abilities, or achievements in him that brings that out of me. I would push back on that and I would say, they're there. You just are focusing and know all of the bad things. Maybe you would say to yourself, well, you know, I respected my dad. Well, that's because you only saw the achievements of your dad. You didn't sleep in the bed with him or see him with his shirt off or hear him fight or yell or... Like, you know the good and the bad of the person, the man that you're married to. And when you only focus on what they're doing wrong, you cannot 
have a deep admiration for them or the qualities or achievements. And here's what's crazy, and this is what's so hard, uh, and Andrew's not up here yet, so I can just talk on behalf of the men, (laughs) one-sided here. Here's what's so hard is that most everywhere else in life, we do get that. The people we work with, they go, oh, wow, you're such a good salesman, or you're so good at meetings, or, and we feel this respect, and then sometimes when we're moving from soulmate to roommate, we walk in the door, and everywhere else in life, we're feeling that, but we don't feel that at home, so we don't want to go home. And so respect is about genuine admiration, but it shows itself in the words you use, the way you say it. Facial expressions, criticism, tone, the way you talk about him to other people. Paul says, ladies, you've got to respect, you've got to respect him. So this is a really simple idea, but so powerful, all right? We're going to kind of bring this idea together. Paul says, guys, if you really give, if you will really give her your best, give her your best. And ladies, if you will respect him, you will have strong marriage. Guys, give your best. Ladies, give respect. Let, let me say it like this, and this is, you can write this in on your sermon guide. In a great marriage, husbands set the standard and wives set the tone. Husbands set the standard, wives set the tone. I've seen this over and over and over again, and I know, you know, I understand that culturally, you know, there's some difference of opinions about genders, and, and I get all that. I'm just telling you, and, and the experiences that I've seen, I've lived, uh, I feel like a, a wide range of relationships in, in the marriages that are working, in the families that are working, in the homes that are working, there is a husband or a leader in the home who is setting the standard. We're going to church. That's what we do. We don't watch that. That's not what we do. This is how we spend our money. That's how we do it. This is how we act on the ball field. That's how we do it. That's not how we act on the ball field. We're setting the standard, but they don't just set the standard in behavior for the family. They set the standard of the effort of the love given in the relationship. So all the time in relationships that aren't working, when I see them going soulmate to roommate, when they get into that roommate zone, I see a wife trying to set the standard of the romance and the effort, but it doesn't work when she sets the standard because he doesn't follow. He should, but he doesn't, and it's, just, that, it's not the way that it is necessarily designed. And so she's begging, trying, pleading, pulling. Come on, let's go to church. Come on, play with them. Will you read with them before they go to bed? Will you tuck them in? Come on, will you have No, I don't want to do it. Begging, 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 begging. But it doesn't work that way. In a home that's flourishing and thriving, in a marriage that's flourishing and thriving, you're gonna find a husband that sets the standard. But you're also gonna find a wife that sets the tone. Andrea and I say it in our our house like this, that she sets the temperature. She literally does control the thermostat in the house. But anybody else going like heat, air, heat, air, heat, air for the last week? Yeah, that's what we're doing. Anyway, so... But the emotional temperature of the house, she sets that. She sets that. The kids don't look to me for the tone and the temperature and the emotion of the house. They look to her. Our marriage tends to go in the direction emotionally that she takes it. I set the standard. She sets 
the tone. On the days where she's having a tough day and we're up here on the volume yelling scale, guess what's happening in the house? Everybody's yelling. So it's, it's the tone. When there is kindness and encouragement that has been set, the home is filled with kindness and encouragement. Now, I'm sure there are examples because it's a, it's a big world with broken people, but I'm just telling you over the years, when I see a man who says, you know what, I'm gonna set the standard. God, I'm putting my faith in Christ. I'm setting the standard in my family. I'm setting the standard in my marriage. I can't think of one example, 15 years in ministry, really 18 years in ministry, I can't think of one time where the rest of the family didn't say, okay, we're in. When, when dad or husband says, let's do it, Almost every time the family follows. So listen to me, guys. If you'll set the standard, they will follow. They're begging for you to set the standard. And ladies, in the relationships that I see that are not roommates, soulmates, just a, just a, a, a flourishing relationship, almost always, do you know what I see as a consistency? I see a wife or a mom who has decided this is going to be a home that is emotionally under control, not cynical, not critical, not jaded, not victim mentality. Do we have bad days? You better believe it. But I am going to set the tone. This is going to be a positive, faith-filled, optimistic, kind, loving environment. A husband who's setting the standard, a wife who is setting the tone. I'm gonna say it one more way and then we're gonna close this out. When we want to be soulmates and not roommates, we'd say it like this. Husbands would say, I'm going to show you what love looks like. That, that, that would be a way, guys, for us to say it in our minds and in our heads. What is Christ expecting of us? What are we trying to do as husbands, as leaders? As, I'm gonna show you what love looks like and the wives would say, I'm going to show you what love sounds like. I believe with all of my heart that if we as, as husbands and dads would say, I'm gonna show you what love looks like, and wives and moms would say, I'm gonna show you what love sounds like, you're going to find a home that's flourishing, a family that's flourishing, and a couple that is not roommates, but soulmates. Does that make sense to everybody? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to um, spend the next amount of time that we have together uh, answering questions. And I'm going to ask Andrea, if she will, to join me up here. Will everybody uh, give her a hand? And uh, we had several relationships. They're going to get us set up up here. But we had several questions come in over the, the weeks of this series from uh, our Shepherdsville location and from here in South Louisville. Several questions come in. I wanted Andrea to come up here and uh, give her perspective on some of these answers and, and me as well. Um, uh, one, two, three, four, well, five, but really four questions because we put two of them together that we felt like we really wanted to, uh, to, to talk through together. So um, the first question, first of all, before we get that, you got anything you want to add to what I just said? Yeah, just... I, 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 I keep envisioning the hashtag, I'll go first. Mm -hmm. You know, like, I'll go first. Like, to break this cycle, like, whatever whatever it is, I'll go first. Mm -hmm. I'll go first. I'm in. I'll go first. I'll apologize first. 
I'll, I'll, I'll start praying for you first. I'll go first. Like, whatever needs to happen so that we can move forward. I want to have the mindset, you know what, I'll go first. I'll go first. And, and just kind of fight or break down that whatever that is that's inside each one of us that's like thinking it is helping us to hold out. I'm going to see what he does right here. I'm going to see how this goes. And I just want to break that down. So I'll go first. I want you to know. I'll go first. Okay. Um, the, the, other, the other thing that just I, I think resonates, because and, and, you had a chance to kind of talk from the guy's perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, there, is a, there is a scripture in Genesis right after the fall of Adam and Eve um, where, where basically God kind of establishes what it's going to be like for, for men and, and for women because we now live in a broken world. Um, and, and the scripture that, that, that means just kind of unpacks a lot of this, um, it says in Genesis 3.16 that, that your desire will be for your husband. And so that, that longing, that peace inside of wives um, so often in us that is just looking for validation. And I don't even think it's just wives. I think it's probably maybe even women. Like it speaks to all of us. Like there is this little bit of us that is just waiting on someone to affirm us validate us. Tell me, do you think I'm pretty? Do you think I'm fat in it? Do you think, like, there is this insecurity. And I I did not understand what that verse meant for a really long time. That your desire, it's, it's just kind of easy to pass over. It's kind of easy to, to, to go by. Um, but I, I think these words, that your desire will be for your husband, that if I recognize that there will always be this piece of me that is because of my flesh, because of sin, because of the fall, always kind of looking for you to um, validate, to um, make sure that, that I'm secure because, you know, like that is not the way that God wants it to be necessarily. Yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's a consequence of sin. And so when I start to feel that inside of me, because I feel like a lot of times that paralyzes me from being able to operate as a confident wife. Yeah. Um, if I will kind of take that to God and say, will you just quiet that down inside of me a little bit? Like, will you just help me to see you um, through your eyes? And, and, and while I love it if he compliments me or I love it when you're proud of me or something like that, like I cannot live for that. Mm-hmm. And that is tough. That's really tough. Um, and so I just wanted to encourage um, and speak to the, all, the, all the women, um, you know, for just a moment. Like, if that is any piece of where there's tension in your relationship, like, that is a direct place where you can kind of ask God to um, affirm you as opposed to expecting, whether it's your husband, another person, your father, another, a coworker, whoever it is, um, like, that, that God can do something significant. So Okay. Awesome. That was great. Uh, so let's answer some questions. Uh, these came out throughout the came in through, throughout the weeks of the series. And the first question uh, we got was, "I'm already." This goes back to the first week we talked about bitterness and gap. I'm already having a bitter heart in my relationship with my boyfriend. Should I end it now before we get married? Now, when I first read this, I was like, I, I looked at the screen and I, I yelled at the screen, "Yes!" Okay. <laughs> then the more I thought about it, I. I I stepped back for one second, and, my, and then I had this thought, what if she's just a bitter person? And so my initial reaction is like, yes, because we've talked in, about dating in this series of like, look out for you, and you know, don't make that switch in the marriage, looking out for them until, but like, so I'm gonna say predominantly yes, not knowing any details about it, but I, I, I so on the yes side, I would say marriage doesn't fix problems. 
Marriage magnifies problems. And there are great blessings in marriage that also are payoffs for some of the problems you have to deal with. But don't fall into the trap, whoever it is, guy, girl, other way around, whatever. Don't fall into the trap of thinking, what's well, not great now, but when we get married, it'll be better. That's not true. That's not true. That, that, that's not true uh, at all, okay? And so what, if there are things about him or her that you think, well, you know, they're distracted, but when we're able to be together, you know, they won't be that way. Or they don't manage money well, but when we put our money together, they'll like, no, that's not the way it works. So that, that would be the, the, probably the way I, I would think if, if I'm guessing on details. But then on the other way, I would say to this person, just check the track record of your relationships and how many of the past relationships have you been bitter towards them? And if you would say like, oh, one, two, yeah, there was that one, and then there was that guy, then yeah, probably 2014. Was, yeah, okay, so there may be a track record of bitterness in your heart, and you need to check with that. So not knowing the details, I would say, like I always lean towards breakup because I just think like, don't, like marriage is a big deal, and don't, yeah, we talked about that last week. I have kind of a, a like a, a nice filter for this question that you could lay. Are you saying I don't have a filter? No, that's amazing. Okay. Um, that you could really lay on top of this question, but really even the bigger question of should I marry this person? Um, not even not even the specifics of being bitter or whatever. And here here's what I would lay on top of that question. If they never change, would I marry them today forever and ever to have and to hold, you know, sickness and health like we talked about last week? Would I marry that person? And I think if you can be honest about that answer, that speaks to a lot, a lot of questions that would fall into this realm. But anytime you are, are trying to double down on the level of commitment in the hopes that it's going to change them, in the hopes that it's going to solve problems, in the hopes that, like, that is a massive, massive mistake. And we have said this before, but I, I and again, I'm, maybe I'm picking on the ladies a little bit. I think that there is a, a little bit of, like, if I could just get my hands on him, like, if I could just really... He's not bad now, but just really wait. work on this guy. Yeah. Um, and that is not, uh, that's usually not how it goes. Yeah. Um, usually. <laughs> well, people believe that because they see you and me, and they go, well, it worked for him. And, uh... Actually, my grandmother, this is a true story. My grandmother was like, not on her deathbed, but she was getting close to death. We're getting very close, and she was very candid, like she didn't have a filter. And we're talking, awesome. it was fantastic. And we're talking, and she said, she said, uh, Jason, you know, none of us are really sure how you convinced Andrea to marry you. That, that's what she said. And she said that to Andrea. She's like, well, what, what, what did you see in Jason? Like, what? She asked me about my parents. So it worked for you. But no, we, we, the, the old joke is that uh, a wife brings a hammer down the aisle right. and, a, and a man brings a, a Polaroid camera. So the wife's saying, like, I'll beat him into shape. And the husband's like, let's take a picture of this and never change a thing. And the reality is, is that everything changes except usually a lot of his bad habits. And so um, if, that, that's, if you'd marry him how they are and they wouldn't change, I think that's a great filter. So let's look at the next question. What's the best way to help a spouse who is battling with depression? I want to be helpful and not harmful. Um, this is such a relevant question because so many uh, of us in our culture, um, I would not, I, I don't wanna belittle what somebody's feeling. I just know in my own experience, I would not consider myself to be a depressed person or going through depression a lot. Um, but there have been a time or two where like, I would, you know, we, we have said like, I have gotten into a really dark place 
And there was actually one time when, uh, and I've told this story before, but you came home. I had just been in this really dark place for a while. I had not left the house all day. I hadn't bathed. I was in what I slept in. I don't know if I'd showered in a day or two. Like I was in a really bad place. And I remember you, you walked through the door, you come home from teaching and you said like, I wanna pray for you. And I remember you came over to the couch, you put your hands on me and you started praying out loud that like God would help me. And that was a big turning point in that moment. And so I just tell that story to say that like, it's easy to think that, that your relationship is the only one who's struggling with this or other people just get over it or snap out of it or whatever. Um, and so the first answer I would give is prayer and not only prayer for the person, but prayer with the person. I think is powerful. I think like the Bible would call them prophetic words, but when somebody who's in a really dark place hears someone else that they love and respect say true things about them that are positive and like that really does help pull them out. And so don't just pray for them, pray with them. God, you know, and, and you've done that a couple of times in our relationship where you're like, okay, I've let you pout, and, but I'm, I'm ready, like, I wanna pray for you. And you're like, pray the fire down. And, um, and so that has been, just in, in those particular moments, there's more things there. We would say counseling, for sure. Um, we're big believers in counseling. I go to counseling pretty, you know, pretty regularly. Um, and, and so... I think one of the greatest tools also is just, we have the, we have the amazing advantage of having the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so when we lean into God's presence and God's power, and we are asking the Holy Spirit for guidance, here's, here's why this is meaningful. I felt very led to pray for you, but there are times when someone is legitimately struggling with depression to a degree that is, is, is substantial. And um, so I don't want to paint the picture that like, you know, anyone can make a choice to snap out of it or, you know, like anything like no. that. Like you, you have to recognize when someone needs you to say, come on, I'm going to help you. Let's, we're going to get out of the house today. Come on, let's do this. Yeah. And, and kind of like you were saying, kind of pull someone out particular situation. And then I think that there are other times where it is, you're, you're kind of asking the Holy Spirit to give you wisdom about like, do I need to set up counseling mm-hmm. for this person and take some steps for them, yeah. you know, and things like that. So whatever, like wherever it lands on the, the scale, the Holy Spirit is, is your, a great advocate for helping you know um, how to care for. And this applies not just, just to spouses. This applies to any person that you love or care for that you're trying to understand. How do I help them? Yeah. Um, how do I show them love and how do I... Um, get them maybe even the help that they need. Sometimes in the certain seasons, like you need to sit in it with them, yes. you know, instead, don't not come on, come on, come on. Just sometimes just sit in it with them. And then there are other times with the help of the Holy Spirit, you know, like I need to be a little bit more aggressive here. I need to get them out of the house. I want to pray with them, pray for them. And then the last piece of advice for this particular question is um, if you have struggled with depression and you can start to see patterns Maybe there are areas where it's seasonal. And so you can start to mentally be aware. You know what? January and February are going to be tough for me. The holidays are going to be a challenge. This, this window of time. And it feels so, um, when we are in a, a state of, of depression or, or, or really just emotionally struggling, it, it can sometimes be hard to think, oh, that this is just seasonal. Because it feels so very, very real and, and dominating in our lives. But I do think that if we can begin um, to, to see that that happens, it helps our loved ones to 
um, know how to support us during those times. It helps us to be more proactive about yep. uh, mental health care and things like that. Fantastic. Okay, next one. Um, next question. I was sexually abused before marriage, and because of that, sex with my spouse has been a massive challenge. What am I supposed to do? We actually have these, this conversation with couples way more than I would have thought we would have early on in ministry. It's just a very uh, relevant topic to marriage that so often, um, not always the female, it tends to be the female more than the male, but there are, have been definitely times where it has been the guy. Um, and so I'll, I'll definitely let you kind of dominate this answer because I think, I think it comes more from your perspective than mine. Yeah, I think, again, this is another area where you want to tread lightly because we don't want to diminish someone's experience. We don't want to diminish someone's um, past or pain. But here is where the hope lies, that God can redeem any situation. And I believe that your spouse is the perfect place to find healing and redemption for something that has been so utterly done wrong in your life. And that is the that is the approach. You know, I may not be... Um, where I want us to be, but we're in this thing for the rest of our lives. And if you'll work on this with me, we'll figure it out together. That is a powerful approach to say, if you'll help me, if you'll walk through this with me, if you'll be patient with me, I promise that I will um, kind of keep doing the, the personal work on, on the inside of me. But that is a perfect situation for you to kind of ask God to heal and, and men and say, like, I know that it might not happen overnight, but I am convinced that if, if, if I have full faith in Jesus Christ, like that something that was again, dead can, can come alive. Yeah. So. Well, and we believe, both of us believe very strongly that a great marriage requires consistent sex. You define consistent however you want. That's a different answer for everybody. But the, the one kind of big red flag that we, we see sometimes and we try to push back on is do not convince yourself that your spouse is fine not having sex. That's, they, they, may have, they may have been able to, um, they may have been able to change their expectations in certain ways, but sex was created by God for marriage. It is a gift in marriage. And so there are things from our childhood that were done wrong, but we try to work through those. So because we had a bad childhood doesn't mean we don't give our best to our kids, you know what I mean? And so, yes, like it, sex was perverted for you. Sex was, scar like no one is making light of that. We're not saying that you just snap out of it, but we are saying that you want to do everything that you can working together to make sex somehow a consistent part of that relationship because when there is no sex, months, years at a time, other problems will be created out of that lack of sex. And so if it has been so long because of something that happened in the past that you have convinced yourself, they're okay, they don't need it, they're fine, they're not very sexual anyway, probably not, not necessarily. And, and so there's gotta be some honest conversation which is incredibly painful and vulnerable and awkward but God gave you and your spouse sex as a gift. And let's, we, we want to open that gift together, not throw it out. Does that make sense? And so it's, it's very tough, but so, so, so important. Okay, last question. Actually gonna two, put two questions together. We actually got several of these in, in some form like this. Uh, I cheated on my spouse 
and I feel like they can't, won't, or don't know how to give their best, that goes back to last week's message, even though they have forgiven my adultery. And then, so we got a couple of those. And then also we got from the other perspective, how do I forgive my spouse when there has been adultery? And so just this topic of adultery, um, which is another topic like all the ones tonight that is so, uh, so heavy and unfortunately so relevant to, to relationships. So here's where, here's something that was consistent or, or almost completely um, similar to all of the questions that were coming in. There are just a lot of heavy questions about sex. And I think that it is worth, um, you know, as adults in, in marriages, like it is worth saying, like it's something that we better be talking about. Yeah. Whether it is from two healthy backgrounds to totally dysfunctional backgrounds whether there's been uh, broken trust, like whatever the case is, like sex is a conversation um, to some, not having sex means something, having, like it all is speaking to something. And so I think that, you know, um, it's, it's a similar answer to the previous question. Like as we got to figure out a way to work on this together. Um, it's not a hundred percent on me to only walk out forgiveness. Like we're, we're figuring this out together. It's not only a hundred percent, like whatever the challenge is, I, my prayer for all of us, for, for my marriage, for, for any of us in these kind of relationships would be, I may not be there right this moment, but I'm going to get there with your help. Like if you'll keep showing grace, if you'll get like, we'll get there together um, and again, God can redeem anything. Like we have to have that posture. We have to have the thinking that says, I, I, I believe God can heal and redeem anything. Not some like magic potion that um, completely just makes everything, you know, hunky-dory. But like that there is a true, honest, like if Jesus can be raised from the dead, yeah. he can heal my marriage. Yeah. So this is the answer that is, is, you know, is a little bit harder than the other answers. But I think um, when, when we're put in this position to answer this question, I, I always say this, and, I, and it's, it's, it's just, it's, it's a hard answer, but it's, I believe it's true. I believe that I am the worst sinner that I know. I believe that grace and salvation means that I said to God, God, there's nothing redeemable in me that would allow me to have a relationship with you. And if you'll save me, I accept that and I'll accept that forgiveness. And the only way I get to know God is through the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, the act of Jesus Christ, the forgiveness, that's it. No one else in the world can do anything that I could look at and say, well, I would never do that or I've never done that. At my worst, there's nobody worse. And I think what I see a lot of times is the words are spoken that says, I forgive you, but I don't forgive you because this is my chip. This is what I'm holding on to and I'm gonna bring it out. And I would say this, I've said it before, I'll say it again. If you won't move on from it, leave them. The Bible talks very clearly that there are certain relationships that when adultery has been committed, it's, it, you just, for whatever reason, because of a lack of trust, like there's an out there and I don't wanna see, God's will is never divorced, but I don't see anybody get divorced, I get that. But don't, like if you say you forgive, if you say I'm gonna stay with you, you have to let it go. Not, well, it's no big deal. No, it's a huge deal. But I believe that I didn't deserve to be forgiven and saved by Jesus Christ and he saved me. So what could I hold against you? Now we gotta rebuild trust. 
We got to decide we're in this thing. We got to decide to be committed. We got to decide that, 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 you know, you put boundaries in place. We got to do all those things. That's, that's the relationship work. But the heart forgiveness work is the belief that I could never hold something against, hold something against someone else that I feel like would be unforgivable if I have experienced the grace of God because I was unforgivable. And I'm still unforgivable. The only reason I've been forgiven is Jesus. If I've accepted Jesus and believe in Jesus, there's nothing out there that I get to hold on to and say, well, not this, this is too much. Because I was too much. And Jesus forgave me. So am I saying, don't worry about it, let them do whatever they want, no accountability? Of course not. The real work has to be done. But if you are going to stay with them, you have to move past the indiscretion. And it sucks that there's more work on you than on them. It stinks that you have to deal with more pressure now that they got it off their shoulders and they feel free, but now you have to live with it. None of that is fair. None of it's fair. But the choice to stay committed, if that's what you choose to do, and you don't have to, but the choice to stay committed means with God's help, probably with some counseling, us working through this together, if you say you wanna be with me, I'm not gonna hold this against you anymore. God, you're gonna have to help me. Does that make sense? And I know that sounds harsh. If you're walking through that or you have walked through that, it, it, it is only coming from a place of love that says it's never going to get better if you hold on to it. It just won't. And so, man, we love you. We we just love to see relationships flourish. We love marriage. We're huge fans of marriage, and we want to see that flourish. And so if you're engaged or about to get engaged or wondering you know, if you'll ever get engaged or you're married or you're trying to work it out or whatever it is, like we want to see your relationship flourish. And we hope that these weeks together have helped you, have helped you do that. I'm going to pray for us, and, uh, and then we'll be done. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that when I did things that were unforgivable, you forgave me. Thank you, God, that when I didn't deserve a second or fourth or hundredth chance, you gave it. And so, God, I pray that whatever scar tissue there is in relationships, whatever baggage there is that's causing one person to stop trying, that's causing another person to to not give respect, God, I pray that today the Holy Spirit would give us the courage to try again, would give us the courage to go first, would give us the courage to show the respect that is required in order for a relationship to flourish. God, I pray that you would help us to be at our best and love at our best, even when our spouses may be at their worst, because that's what you've done to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.